0: You're listening to Seeking Change, the podcast where industry collaborates on eco-efficient minerals and made possible by the generosity of our sponsors and volunteers. In today's episode, we are joined by SEEK International Director, Joe Peace, and Director of Technical Solutions from Wasenko, Matt Pyle, as we discuss his recent paper, Improving Tailings Outcomes with Next Generation Concentrators.
1: Well, Matt. Hey, thanks for joining us today on this discussion. Uh, we've come across yeah, thanks, a really, yeah, mate, We've come across a really interesting paper or presentation that we, we saw you uh, provided on tailings advances in tailings. So, really fascinating paper, Matt, Could you tell us a bit about it? And maybe start with the background, the landscape, why why you got into this field, why you thought it was important.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. No, thanks for having me, Joe. Looking forward to the discussion. I, I suppose. Um, You know, my background, I started as a failed mechanical engineer and then changed to chemical and minerals processing. And, you know, through the path of my career, I found quite early on, I was uh, filling the gaps around tailings, maybe because some of the other engineers were focused in other areas they knew. And if they were jumping into the tailing space, that would be a little bit unknown for them. So I guess going back to maybe 2014, 2015, doing some projects in coal tailings and looking at some high throughput filter applications. Tailings has always been sort of interesting to me and I've delved into the world of clays and rheologies and all the things that you end up going into in that space. But then I guess more recently you know i have sort of fortunate currently at Asenko I get this position where I can see sort of the landscape of what's happening and and part of that involves going to conferences and the like and part of it involves just looking at the projects that we're doing but the summary of that is that tailings dams continue to fail there's a lot of data out on that now and a lot of people are looking at it The, the rate of failures hasn't actually improved the rate of releases hasn't really improved either unfortunately and and so that's the that's the the issues that the industry has to deal with and, and what well, we have to improve. But then on, on the other side, on the technology and innovation space, we've seen lots of great things happen. We've seen coarse particle flotation be implemented. The first was at Cadia and I was in, involved in that in about 2018, which allowed them to course in their grind size by about 100 micron, which is a big deal for a fine-grained ore body, which Kadia is. And then I guess in parallel, there's been developments in economies of scale around – filtration and we're seeing five by five metre filters be, be installed at Tocapala and being looked at other sites as well. A few years ago uh, I was fortunate enough to work on a project called EcoTails for Goldcorp, which was looking at commingling coarse particles and uh, wet filter tailings effectively so saying well let's not dry everything as much as we have to if we want it to be ge- geotechnically stable but let's rely on waste rock crushing systems and crushed waste rock to provide geotechnical strength and what are the synergies that happen when you do that and then i guess most recently um, we've been involved in some bulk sorting projects which are successfully rejecting coarse waste out of milling circuits and so i mean putting all that together nothing that this paper was talking about is really new but it was saying well here's some call it next generation approaches that yeah, sorry to say already exist, but just aren't implemented everywhere. What happens when we actually put them together and what opportunities can that provide around tailings? And and the answer is, I suppose, that a lot of the opportunities in the plant are value accretive. And when we put it in context of the challenges of permitting tailings dams, many sites are moving towards or stepping down that pathway of implementing those same approaches on a piecemeal basis because they're forced to. So yeah. if we fast forward a bit, that's what it sort of looks like, that, that approach I've painted.
1: So Amanda, what are Asenko seeing out there in the in the marketplace? I mean, you guys, are, you're designing plants <coughs> and, and operations for people. And I guess we all know you know that the enormous increase in resources we need uh, to meet the, the energy transition, which means an enormous increase in tailings, But I I suspect that's coming up against increased difficulty in in permitting. So what what do you guys see?
2: Yeah, the discussions amongst the, the tailings engineers and some of the discussions we've had with our tailings dam engineers is that permitting new dams can be up to 10, new tailings storage facilities can be up to 10 years of work. And even lifts on existing facilities can be five to 10 years to the extent where there's there's six or seven projects that I know of, and there may be more, that are faced with uh, the stark reality of having to reduce production or, or stop down for, or, or sorry, slow down for, or stop altogether for not having somewhere to put their tailings, which is leading projects to say, well, okay, well, we we fill up our tailings with lots of things that don't necessarily have to be there a lot. Sometimes that's just water. So on average, tailings dams can comprise 50 to 60 percent by volume water that's locked in the in the fine particles. Uh, and much of that consumes additional volume. There's sand fractions that are coarse and otherwise inherently stable. and plenty of sites actually just remove the sands already with cyclones and use them for wall construction or store them separately. But plenty of sites don't. So we're seeing projects that are, you know, stripping out everything that doesn't have to go into a tailings dam and could be cheaply dewatered um, separately. And then we're seeing sites say, well, OK, but what's the long term solution? Do we have to demonstrate some really big pilot technologies, some big scale filters and see what economies of scale we can achieve? And what are the capital and operating cost profiles of those approaches? So a, a bit of a mixture of, of everything, to be honest.
1: So I guess I guess I mean a couple of things are certain. There's there's going to be more tailings. Well, they have to be if, we, if we're going to meet the the, the requirements yeah. of society. But the second is we have to avoid failures. Uh, yes, we have to do things differently. So they're they're the two must haves. So you've got some interesting concepts uh, that that might meet those two requirements. Can you you want to start telling us about those concepts?
2: Yeah, and I mean I, I suppose. As, as minerals processing engineers, when we're developing projects or ground fields upgrades, we, we start with what we know. And, and I guess when we look at the constraints around driving value out of projects, we start with the beneficiation projects. And let's just start talking about copper because copper represents about half of worldwide tailings volumes. So it's, it's not a bad place to start. And you add a bit of a few other polymetallics and gold is the next most critical and that takes you up to about 60 or 70 percent at least of global tailings but as process engineers we say okay well what are we going to do to recover the value out of copper deposits for instance and we say okay well we need to float the material because you know since 1905 flotation has been the single most viable approach to recover and produce copper into concentrates and the smelting part is relatively easy after that and so we say okay we need to grind the material to somewhere between 150 and maybe 250 microns on average depending on where in the world you are which really means we produce a lot of slimy material that's difficult to keep water so the, the first logical step to address that is to say well how do we improve our beneficiation approach and and coarse particle flotation is a great way to straight away add another 100 or 150 microns onto the the grind size of a concentrator and when you do that, you shift the size distribution, and and it's funny actually that that the geotechnical guys talk about uh, size fractions as clays, silt, and sand. And really, what we're doing, and and the reason they do that is because the size distribution is directly related to how the material behaves. So as soon as you coarsen the grain size and you you, you minimise the generation of the ultrafines and fines and the silts and and shift more into the sand fraction. And immediately, when you do that, you're now left with more sand and less clay silt. So, the water recovery improves. The stability of the tailings improves. You've ultimately got less. You know, if you strip the coarser fractions out, you've ultimately got less to store. So, about half the tailings can be produced as stable sand and the, and the other half as the fine fraction. You save energy in the plant. Most recently, we've seen media costs go through the roof. So, ball milling to produce fines is actually really expensive or becoming more and more expensive. So the savings around media as well. And and that's really, I guess, the first step change enabler to improving the problem, but then it doesn't resolve the issue of fines. And so how, how do we resolve that? Well, there's two approaches. One is to filter everything. And when we filter everything, okay, we can generate something that's that's dry and, and in some respects stable, but in other respects, it's still sort of unstable because even filtered tailings is not dry. It, it holds water, it can saturate, and still, in many cases, needs to be retained within embankments um, built of stable materials. But if we pivot the question on its head and, and we say, well, how, how do we store that stuff more stably? The answer is to co-mingle it, and and in, in that way, the the structural stability, the geotechnical and geochemical properties improve when you mix the coarse and fine material together in the right ratios. So so long as you're hiding the fine material within the coarse material, you generally keep your geotechnical stability with, without destroying it. So if that then becomes the goal, you know, to hide the fines in the coarse, then we need to think about the whole mining and processing differently and the strategy there needs to be yes recover as much as we can as best as we can but use approaches that already exist that generate coarse wastes such that uh, we can use it basically for, uh, for, for storing our fines yeah. more stably and there's quite a lot of those approaches that already exist in processing plants you know a good example would be Bougainville that operated in the 70s and 80s they operated with Screening just to screen out their coarse, low-grade fraction because when rocks break, the fines preferentially deport to the fines. So that that existed fifty years ago, but it tend, tended to get removed from flow sheets as we sought simplicity and, you know, had some high-grade projects and high throughputs in the in the mine. More recently, we're seeing sensing, bulk sensing, bulk sorting being implemented. Uh, mine sense is a viable technology exists and is in operation uh, as well. And that's, uh, that does a better job of producing or sending grade to the mill and sending lower grade material into waste rock systems. Some sites already crush waste rock when it's viable, but typically don't use it to co-mingle or help their tailings problems. So there's some of those sites already have immediate advantages. And then most people who've been in plants before often see pebbles being rejected from the milling circuit Often unplanned or not with the amount of planning that could have occurred, uh, we find that those pebbles are low grade, barren, and uh, more competent. So, by re- rejecting them from the process, can actually be economically viable, but it creates a rehandling issue back to the mining fleet, and then typically goes on a waste dump or just sits on a mountain somewhere. That material could be used for helping to store the ultrafines. So, when you put a lot of these approaches together coarse particle flotation, pebble rejection, screening, bulk sorting, mine sorting there's actually a huge opportunity to generate coarse stable material and and for a normal project or a typical project it wouldn't be unreasonable to get four or five parts of stable sandy and coarser material to one part of ultrafines unstable material. and in those ratios storing the ultrafines should not technically be a problem. So that's that's the gist of the approach.
1: Yeah, so, so what I what I like about that Matt is, it's really a different way of thinking about tailings. What you're saying, we, we tend to think of tailings as uh, you know the relatively fine sludgy waste. yet. there's a bit of sand in there, but it's a you know a lot of fines in there. And, and you're you're saying no, think about tailings as, as three fractions. There's a sure there's a fines fraction, but there's a, a nice sand fraction that you can now get from you know, if you've got coarse flotation, you can you can screen it a nice coarse sand fraction which can be used for barriers or, or part of wall construction mm. but then what we don't think of tailings tarlings normally is, the, is the, the rock and the waste and mm. you're saying it's really those three different size fractions become the tarlings which then gives you an entirely different sort of structure and in storage than we're used to is that what you're saying
2: yeah that's exactly right and i mean i, I think the production of mine waste and storage <laughs> of mine waste is a is a mining function and, you know, as a process person, I, I I try to understand what I can around the mining discipline but have lots and lots to learn there and probably the same could be said vice versa. You know, rejection of pebbles is a processing function or processing cost that doesn't typically link back to the mine apart from an interface when there's trucks involved. So same would be said for bulk sorting and coarse particle flotation and... As an industry, we we don't engage very well with our, our tailings engineers. Um, the tailings discipline is used to, as well, just receiving what tailings they're sent, given that historically there hasn't really been much room to move with processing strategies because, well, the grades have been high, so the overwhelming answer in a lot of, lot of cases was grind it to whatever grind size you need to maximise recovery. But as grades drop, it actually opens up more of a conversation because, or size can be coarsened, and, and so that that allows some integration there. So, yeah, Joe, you're right, each of these, there are different size fractions and they all should be considered differently because they have very different challenges and requirements around their storage. But, yeah, we're, we're not really set up to, to look at the big picture very well, generally speaking.
1: So you've touched on some interesting stuff there because, it, look, I, I think people can get that concept that, if we store it in a, in a stable structure of course and fires together, you know, it's we don't have drainage problems, we don't have wall problems, there's there's no chance of failure. And you've talked about some of the technologies behind it and yeah, look, you're right, I mean, part of it, perhaps we didn't need it, but some of it wasn't quite ready. But I think the technology readiness has has moved considerably the last couple of years. So let's, if we talk about course flotation or, or the sensing for course separation, do you want to talk about that? Because I think that is a fundamental change that's enabling what's really a, it's, a, it's a great concept, but a relatively simple concept.
2: Yeah, and, and technology readiness is a, is a funny, funny discussion, and, it, and it's it's always interesting in the context of mining where the investments are high, uh, and so the associated risk of trying something new or different is high, which can tend to sort of I guess slow the rate of adoption. Because there has to be absolute certainty in things working, because otherwise the decisions that are made have you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars or more consequence of loss. But notwithstanding, I, I guess, and from a technical perspective, a lot of these things are simple at heart and proven, but maybe not in certain applications. So if I was to talk about coarse particle flotation, for instance, that's been running for or uh, 10 or 15 years in phosphate before it was ever used in hard rock processing. Notwithstanding, the first hard rock installation was Cadia was on their train three circuit, and that's been operational since 2018. So we're coming up to five or six years of operation. And uh, you know, Newcrest, correct to, to the credit, have published uh, several good papers on it and, and since expanded and implemented it on, on all of that the whole uh, concentrator one plant. And and it's also installed in uh, a number of other operations for, you know, Rio has installed on, Anglo's installed a few, Brownfield and Greenfield projects. So you can, you can now add to the list and say, well, there's five or maybe six operations that have, have used this and demonstrated it. From a study perspective and test work perspective, we're aware of another 20 or 30 sites that, you know, we've done studies on and have tested it and the results are, you know, when you get to see the same information, say approaches over and over again and see the similar viable results, it, it really starts to reduce risk from our perspective when we see that. But we fully understand that most of the industry hasn't seen those results or isn't privy to the bigger picture. So the perceived risk is probably high, I, I guess, around the, the mine sense you know, it's probably worth a separate discussion with with them, but from what we understand, a number of clients are using it and it's working well. And bulk sorting's been implemented at a few sites we know of and, and have seen results for, and those results have been successful. So they're using, you know, there's a range of different sensing technologies that can be used, ranging from XRF through to PGNAA, and then uh, also magnetic resonance as a, a, a spin-off from CSIRO technology developed in Australia here. So, there's examples of all of those working and, and sometimes quite well in, in different operations. So, well, anything, so
1: a, sorry, sorry to interrupt, mate. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting field because, I mean, you're right, there has been significant developments in the last couple of years and we have got benchmark installations. I guess the, one of the messages, though, is it's much easier to put this stuff in at the start than to retrofit it to operations. And things that are really simple in concept, even like, screening fines uh, for course very simple concept but if you've already installed your equipment and then you have to break the flow and screen and side song it's it's actually quite disruptive to an operation and and hard to fit in and and, and similarly with the course flotation once you've set your plant in concrete it's hard to retrofit so we're really talking about the tailings has to be thought about right at the start of mine planning
2: yeah, it does. And it's it's a really good topic to touch on. Because you're right. Sometimes you can build a plant, a greenfields plant, that can't be easily retrofitted because certain things weren't thought about earlier. Or sometimes the cost to future proof something initially is relatively low, but it needs a bit of bit of thinking early on. Sometimes there's brownfield sites that are really quite amenable to a brownfield modification. And and so there I don't think there's a, a simple answer to that question because it is it becomes so site-specific. Bulk sorting, for example, is not yet a bankable technology because it relies on good understanding of mixing that happens, mixing and the loss of heterogeneity that happens in the mining process through to crushing in the sensor. So that can actually be retrofitted with confidence in a brownfield duty when you can actually put a sensor on the belt at very low cost and just see what happens, find out what's going into your mill that shouldn't be there. Predicting that on a greenfield basis is really tricky.
1: But, but leave, leaving room to put the diverter
2: in. That's but leaving room to put the diverter in is yeah. very easy, not without some cost. But, yeah, these are the sorts of discussions we have with clients and and often they say, okay, yeah, we, we see the value, we're going to leave space. And sometimes they say, look, notwithstanding, it's still too early, we'll worry about that in the future. And and so this whole concept of a, a different way to store tailings is takes one example like bulk sorting, but you have to do it two or three times yeah. through the whole value chain for it to finally make sense on aggregate. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I think I mean what the message I hear is that we, we can no longer add tailings in the afterthought after we've designed the mine and the concentrator. We've got to think about right from the data as we're designing from the very start. We're going to say how we going to mine this ore, how we're going to process it, and how are we going to store the tailings? Those things have to be thought about together from the start.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think there's a new perception of risk that's emerging that is, you know, there's stakeholders and, and permanent authorities simply are less and less accepting of anything other than a dried or non-conventional tailings solution. I mean, that that's pretty much already the case in the US. Certainly a lot of projects have have moved that way or are moving that way. Chile's got a a, a lot of pressure on... In, in the same areas, Peru becoming very similar. So, I mean, that the mining industry's reputation is is not as good as it could or should have been. And and so, you know, when when mine operators or project developers are now looking at permitting risk, it's compelling to do something different.
1: Yeah. So, about I'd like to just explore a little bit something that is different about this, and it? it's the way you're handling the fines. And, and could you talk about that and, and contrast it with... There's also a lot of industry talk about uh, whole filtering of tailings.
2: Yeah. So you've got a different approach to the fine. So there's, there's a few things where we're looking at this space here. And and I, I guess to your point, Joe, how we're thinking about splitting up the coarse waste rock from pebbles, which is also the coarse and the sand, through to the finer fractions. There's a bit of a similar theme in the finer fractions too. You know, over the last five or ten years, looking pretty closely at, tailings filtration projects and the complexities there it's all driven by clays and the the ultrafines as one of the uh, filtration rate drivers if you like and so actually when you remove ultrafines from a a pressure filter you can see a big increase in in throughputs similarly with with pressure filters and starting just to talk about those because that's what most people go to first when they talk fine tailings they can also lose capacity in a sense when you put too much coarse material in them because the coarse fractions are are actually so easy to dewater that they can dewater on uh, high frequency screens so you actually only need to to screen them and you get most of the water out and you start filling the interstices with air a a classic example i guess would be the magnetite operations in brazil that tend to be low clays generally speaking they might have some oxides in there but they're low clays and they can dewater a lot of their tailings not to a completely dry state but certainly very dry enough to be on a conveyor belt just in high frequency screens which is just to say that when you don't have ultrafine clays in there the dewatering process becomes much more simple so that then leads us to the question well how should we treat this ultrafine fraction and one of the approaches would be to say well everything that's coarse enough to put on a high frequency screen or something of the like. So some sand fraction certainly and potentially even getting down into the 50 micron particle size and coarser. That could be could certainly be on a on a screen. A, a mid sized fraction may actually dewater quite well on a horizontal belt filter or using vacuum filters, particularly when clays are removed and particularly if there's some coarse in there to help it vacuum filter. And then you really just left with the ultrafine fraction, which continues to be the challenge. And, you know, speaking of all body trends, we're seeing more and more higher clay projects being developed and operated uh, because the easier porphyries are more or less disappearing. But that ultrafine fraction, you know, what do we do with that? There's some approaches around separating that, I guess, firstly with, with cyclones, and then looking at uh, how you, how you dewater it in centrifuges is one option or potentially it stays as, as a pressure filter solution. But, you know, when you deconstrain moisture by dewatering all the coarser fractions first, and when you deconstrain geotechnical stability, the focus really is how dry actually do we need to make that material? Even if it was pumpable, let's say, but was mixed appropriately back in with the other fractions, the dewatering problem is nowhere near as constrained as it is otherwise. Yeah.
1: That's a really neat approach because it's saying what's at the hardest fraction, or the, sorry, the most difficult fraction, the one that's going to consume the most energy, the one that would be the rate-determining step. Well, let's take that out of the equation and and do something simple with that. And because I know some yeah you know, some operations that have got a bit of clay and filtering the tailings, the filtering becomes their rate-determining step, and it's yeah you know, it's not, they're no longer sag mill limited or yeah. common use limited, they're they're filter limited, but that's really breaking that that link and saying. Well, no, you don't have to deal with that so far if you co it, if you yeah. store
2: it in a different way. Exactly, and there's, there's a risk part around that too. I mean, on a project that we constructed and commissioned last year, it was in Mexico and a very arid climate. We haven't really spoken much about water yet, but they didn't have much capacity for, for water, so, you know, filter tailings is, is actually reasonably common in that part of the world. But their filtration rate could halve if... They had high clay laws coming through, and actually designing for that and managing that risk through the test work programs is is no small feat. By contrast, you know if you deconstrain it or, or look at other approaches like centrifuges, they can be a lot less sensitive in terms of unit throughputs by clays. So that yeah. they tend they tend to still be able to produce high throughputs. I
1: think it's really smart not not applying the energy where you don't if you don't really need it on the most energy hungry fraction if you can avoid it.
2: Yeah, the, the net cost is probably about half to two thirds as well versus uh, a yeah. pressure filtering everything. If you start to look at yeah. the fractions a bit differently, so there's there's cost capex and opex savings also.
1: Actually, I'm glad you raised cost because I mean it's people will be thinking uh, when what you're proposing there's there's more handling steps, there's there's more materials handling of to the tailing. So it's, all those steps have cost involved. So the, now the first thing mm-hmm. we've got to say is well. We, can't, we just have to spend whatever it takes to have safe tailings storage. There's no question of that. But still, people will be concerned about does that cost make some operations unviable? Yeah. We have to talk about that because there's offsets as well, aren't there?
2: Yeah, certainly. I mean, when you move into low-grade projects, I mean, one of the reasons we don't have tailings filtration at high throughputs on low-grade projects is because the impact on margins is, frankly unacceptably high it's, it's not possible to afford to build those projects particularly when you get into some of the 0.3 0.4 percent copper projects at current prices so yeah you, I, I guess you're right joe but by pivoting the question and asking it a different way there is there is value in these approaches mm. so when you get to the low grade projects the project constraints are the mills the mills are the, mostly the heart of the plant they're the most expensive to in terms of cap in capex and opex terms. But the approach of pulling out coarse material deconstrains the mill significantly. What you may lose on having to pay in the back end of the circuit on handling the fines, dewatering and, and ultimately stacking, you win through higher, if anyone's done the whittle course, higher revenue through the bottleneck unit or higher throughputs through a given milling circuit or the same capital um, or similar capital spend. So yes, there's savings to be had in, a, in capex and opex in, in grinding there's savings to be had in order there's certainly a lower risk profile that can be quantified um, it's not necessarily straightforward to get hard and fast numbers but it can certainly be quantified around social risk permitting challenges and and the like and, and then when you look across i guess the the value chain you know in pit crushing conveying by itself typically doesn't fly very often um doesn't make sense very often you know, materials handling systems around pebbles don't doesn't make sense very often. Tailings by itself is just a net cost, but when you start to put some of those elements together, yeah. um, you start to actually generate economies of scale around materials handling as well.
1: It's, it's I think it's what we were talking about before that integration. It's looking at the whole operation. You you can't just say oh but my tailings handling cost to be higher, but if you look at the entire operation of of rejection of coarse particles of coarser flotation the energy and capital savings there, you have to look at the, the complete picture uh, before you can really assess the tailings costs because reduce costs in other areas.
2: Exactly. And, and I mean, don't want to go in too much in the detail here, but talking to the mechanical engineers and the materials handling engineers and, and the geotechs as well, designing a stacking system for filter tailings is actually really difficult. The belts become wide because the chutes have to be vertical drop shoots with, you know, low friction liners, plastic liners so that the material doesn't build up and bulk because this stuff can get quite sticky. The The lift heights on the stacks become quite short because the material often needs to be compacted in and spread in thin lift. So there's a rehandling, compaction cost that exists. It often needs to be placed up against buttresses because it's still not fully stable. So the filtered tailing stacking part alone that the industry's looked at is, is sort of ugly in a number of ways. But when you put the coarse material in the right ratios, you can change your conveyors to smaller conveyors running faster. The chutes become more like rock transfer chutes rather than filtered tailings transfer chutes because the rocks scare out the fines. The stacking lifts become taller and taller, which then provides benefits for not having to move the equipment as frequently so the availability and reliability goes up because anytime you move mechanical equipment, it's liable to fail. And cost downtime often as well. There are real synergies in that materials handling piece that are significant.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey thanks, Matt. Look, we're running out of time, but I will just, who are you working with in the space? Who who are the leaders that you know the industry should be looking at uh, that are that are really moving ahead in the space and we can all learn from?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. There's there's a couple of consortiums that involve a number of the majors. One of those consortiums looking at filtration at large scales and and so a number of the mining companies are getting together to discuss these and and look to build demonstrations and pilots it's really good to see as well another consortium headed up by kim morrison at the moment has basically kicked off what used to be the ecotales consortium is now uh, looking at geostable tailings and that's looking to understand a lot of the combining let's say the geotechnical and the geochemical uh, work around commingling Different vine streams, dewater water in different ways. Some of those consortiums are, are doing it. Otherwise, it, it tends to be on a, a bit of a case-by-case basis. But you know, I, I suppose through Seek, you know, I think Seek is a, a great platform to also enable some of those discussions with a bunch of companies mm. uh, and in, individuals who are passionate about this area and and get the right people round the round the table because it's an eminently solvable problem, I believe.
1: Well, I think you're, you're right. I mean, some of the technologies. The readiness of technologies like sensing and and coarse sorting and and coarse flotation, I mean, they're things that have clearly been in SIGS' interest for some years, and they're the ones that are also enabling yeah you know, this this commingling concept and coarse storage concept for tailing. So absolutely, I, I think there's a natural progression, and and getting the technologies ready in one area assisting the tailing storage area as well.
2: Yeah, it, it becomes a simpler prospect when it's a case of gluing certain approaches together in the right way or integrating them in the right way mm-hmm. rather than having to develop or rely on something that's at low technology readiness levels yeah. to begin with.
1: Yeah.
2: It's then more about awareness and, you know, having smart people talk to each other and, and break down some of the silos and hang out with the tailings guys and the mining guys from time to time, yeah. which is uh, and they're not typically my, my go-to people that I know, right? Yeah, I think it's important that we, you know, make friends mm-hmm. for...
1: Well, it's, state it's state. being it's being able to see the big picture and, and yeah, filling in the the pieces of the jigsaw that aren't there, and then putting the whole picture together. And I think I mean that's where we have to go as an yeah. industry. Hey, Matt, thanks for your time. It's a really interesting field of work. We, we we can't do it justice in this time, but there's there's lots more to talk about. It has been a really good discussion. So thanks for your time, Matt.
2: No, thanks very much, Joe. Appreciate the chance to talk, and thanks to Seek for the for hosting the podcast as well. Thanks, Matt. See you, everybody. Bye
0: thanks for listening and we hope you found value and ideas from this episode your voice and advocacy can help us to expand conversations in eco-efficient mineral processing so if you have enjoyed the podcast please give us a positive rating or even write a quick review on google or apple itunes if you'd like to stay informed and involved you can tap into free resources at our website seekthefuture.org that's C-E-E-C thefuture.org you can also subscribe to our regular SEEK news which features information on new podcasts videos and events and to join our expanding group of advocates and sponsors just email comms at seekthefuture.org that's C O M S at seekthefuture.org. Thank you and we hope you'll join us for the next Seeking Change podcast.